I have written a lot about Twitter in the recent weeks. Actually, I did at the New York Times too. And somebody asked, well, why is an environment reporter focused on this stuff? And to me, it's pretty clear that the information environment that we live in now is substantially, for better or worse, going to change the real environment. This is not a new thing, by the way. Uh, more than 100 years ago, the extinction of the um, uh, passenger pigeon was abetted by communication technology, the telegraph. There were people telegraphing, the birds are in back east, and people would get on trains and go out and hunt and with their rifles, their shotguns, and and that helped to destroy the uh, the passenger pigeons. So technology, that time it was telegraphed, but it just shows you that uh, the tools we have now are just like those then. They can be used for good or for ill. You know, the information environment, as I said, is really an influential part of the biogeophysical environment going forward. And uh, Darwin actually weirdly foresaw some of this in 1871 in his book, The Descent of Man. He said, you know, as we advance in civilization, our tribal nature will be less and less, we'll, we'll be more connected. He actually, in this book, went on to say how we're connecting with nature with other species more this way. But he said there's only an artificial barrier to prevent the sympathies extending of men extending to men of all nations and races. And, you know, again, technology in theory has given us that capacity to truly be the global village that some envisioned many decades ago. Uh, again, the shows I do are split between looking at actual climate policy, climate science, and uh, other issues, and, and this question. I did one recently, can the public value of Twitter be sustained there or elsewhere? And that's where we're at today. It's a Twitter engineer. He just quit two, day, two weeks ago, who I had on my show. He explained, even as he's leaving, how much he loves it and that it took 10 years of nonstop programming, regulatory work, and other work to create this thing we now know of as Twitter. So don't count on any of the um, uh, competitors to be able to jump in to take that place anytime soon. If you step back and look at this from 2007 through 2037, could this be a good thing? Yeah, I mean, I think Twitter, you know, it's made the need for a public real-time channel like this very obvious and who knows what will happen with twitter over the next year or so but i would have to think that if twitter moves away from providing that for whatever reason um, that something will fill that void but at the same time you know building twitter was a decade effort and there's just so much complexity behind it in terms of privacy in terms of uh, privacy regulations, um, you know, just the plumbing involved is is amazing. And the fact that it's so fast and so public and global, um, I, I don't want to, I have no idea like how hard would that be to rewrite from scratch, but uh, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, uh, the engineers I worked with to a T were all super smart and motivated and proud of what they had built. So, uh, but it's not to say that uh, some other service could pop up that provides those characteristics, those features. 
so this is his, his domain, Jim Moffat, the guy who's just left Twitter, who I had on the show recently and wrote about. He's there using the data. We're going to talk about all the ways we can use the tool directly, but it's worth just touching on this too. As a data portal, Twitter is amazing. Um, 6,000 tweets a second. So when the flood is unfolding in Jakarta or in Texas, they're actually, they're good bots. Not, they're not all bots are bad that are automatically feeding data into the system to help um, authorities or emergency response agencies be more effective at, uh, under, and all of us uh, at understanding where flood peril lies and the like. So that's, and of course, as I, I've indicated here too, there's Trinidad Tobago Weather Center, uh, all around the world, the data are being used and input from the public is being used to uh, inform and uh, make more efficient uh, how we deal with emergencies. Yeah, they, they, I had, we had this discussion of in Jakarta, you'll be able to see if you review this later, how uh, reports from the citizens through this app that now, there's a very high buy-in on Twitter in, in Indonesia. And as people are tweeting about the flooding in different parts of this giant city, uh, that in, again, builds a picture of what's going on. It's fantastic. Uh, so I, I got this graphic from one of those sort of uh, motivational business entrepreneurship websites, um, making the most of things. You know, it's mission, objective, strategy, tactics. Uh, I'd add, add tools. Of course, Twitter is a tool. You know, what what do you want to get out of the online part of your life? Uh, and so I hope right now, just quickly, you know, when you think of what you're you're here for, you're here online right now, and Obviously, you're motivated to think about how to make the most of the internet and connectivity. Uh, maybe pop into the chat as we go forward some of the things you're thinking about. What is, what is uh, in one word or two, are you looking for connection? Are you looking for answers? Are you looking for partners? Uh, let, let me know. We can talk about that in the second half of this uh, talk. Twitter says, this is from their page, Twitter is what's happening and what people are talking about right now. And again, it's an open system. It's not like um, Facebook, where you you know you have to be part of Facebook to go into that arena and uh, connect with other people, for better or worse. To me, the big difference between the other web portals and Twitter is uh, is that it's people, and it's revealed here by search. I did a, just a random. I chose two terms. It's maybe one or two of you think about the Arctic and about aerosols. You know, pollution of flowing to the Arctic, uh, not just CO two and affecting the climate or aerosols from from uh, wildfires. Uh, so plug those two terms into Google and you get one set of results. Plug those two terms into Twitter as a search engine and you get a completely different thing. You get people instead of things or ideas. Here's just Google is papers and the like and Twitter is John Christensen, who's a writer at UCLA, who's very involved in sustainability and, uh, a, uh, and uh, Andreas Baccarini, who's very involved in aerosols. That you could take any two or three terms, and I guarantee you, on one part of the internet, if you search for them there, you'll find stuff, you'll find papers, you'll find organizations. On the other, you'll find people who are involved in inquiry on that question. So that's the big first difference, I think. Um, I'd like you also, as you're thinking about um, what you want to get out of online connectivity. Also put into the chat, 
think just for a second, who have you met? Who have you been encountered? Who have you been engaged with recently in your work, your career, or your uh, life track? Who you met through Twitter, if you're on Twitter, and who you wouldn't have met otherwise? And just think about that, what that's enabled. I know, for example, Katindi Sivi, who's a, a, a futurist in Nairobi. Uh, she's been on my show a number of times. She's working on a um, program to give kids in Africa, across Africa, not just in Kenya, the capacity to plan ahead, to, to, to think like a futurist. Um, and the only reason I know about her is Twitter. And she's one of hundreds for me of sources and um, guides and also partners, collaborators, uh, who, who I would not know exist if it weren't for this platform. Uh, one reason that's a practical reason to think about Twitter seriously is it's where the journalists are. It's also where politicians are. You know, every politician now has a Twitter account. So if you tag a politician and something, if you're writing about, if your work relates to uh, lobster conservation in Maine, uh, I mean, lobster harvest and, and bright whales, and you wanna make sure Maine politicians know what you're thinking, Tagging them will pretty much guarantee someone in their office will get a look at them. But journalists are here in, in droves. There, there are some portals journalists are moving to. I am among them. I'm set up at post.news, but Twitter is still the domain for where the media hang out. Um, Sam, Sam Montano, who's at Mass Maritime Academy, she's a professor, she teaches emergency management. She's a dynamo. She, she's on Twitter, she's on TikTok. And she's doing great work, in public outreach, and also in the sort of outreach to policymakers and to meet the media. During COVID, she was posting about how FEMA resources were not being applied to the COVID crisis that could be. And uh, as she wrote recently in one of her um, on her newsletter at Substack, she recounted how she ended up on Chris Hayes's uh, show at MSNBC because of her tweets. Here's one example. This, so this is May 2020 uh, update uh, to this. Chris Hayes covered this story on MSNBC last night. Uh, EMG Twitter is a hashtag for the emergency management community on Twitter. Informal way to have a common view of this flow of information to cut through all this stuff. Um, and he, he replied in part because of your tweets. So, you know, being there is a way to engage with journalists for. Uh, mostly for better. And this can have multiple benefits. It's not just getting your story to the journalists, but here, for example, is a case where Reuters, uh, in early 2021, there was this Reuters hot list. I think there was one or two Columbia scientists who might've been on it. It was like the thousand most influential climate scientists. Uh, Mike Oppenheimer at Princeton was high on the list. He was profiled by Reuters. And the community of climate-oriented scientists in uh, sub-Saharan Africa took note of the fact that there was hardly anyone from the global south in this uh, list. And of course, you know, that's because the, the West, the North, uh, has had a half-century head start in being leaders in the science on global warming. You know, it's mostly white northern guys, um, and the, the list reflected that. And so through Twitter, um, the uh, the conversation, which is a website where lots of scientists write, I've done webcasts with the people who run it. Uh, they pointed to their article and on uh, 
on the conference, the con conversation, the African publication, the African edition. And they got a lot of attention from me and others in terms of saying, hey, Reuters, can we reimagine how you think about who is valuable to the world community as climate change rolls out? So it levels the playing field and makes the media more responsive. It will, I guarantee you. Uh, Reuters won't do something like that again without being much more uh, without much more circumspection about who should be on such a list. It makes the media more responsive, but only if you engage, only if you're there, only if you, the community of people who care about making progress on the planet um, through communication, are there. Um, there's so many, I'm just going to tick down some of the reasons, the historically, some of the ways it's been utilized. I've uh, interacted with, uh, when I was at Pace University from 2010 through 2016, I taught a course called Blogging a Better Planet. We had a hashtag Pace blog, and the students were all creating blogs with uh, some uh, facet of what they were working on was about how to make the world better through your, your whatever it is you're interested in. Uh, so Pace blog was our class hashtag. Bird class is my favorite one. I'm not sure if, again, this is Keynote. I haven't used it before. Normally, I could click a link and open the website, but I'll do that later. Um, Margaret Rubega, who I started writing about at the New York Times because of her tweeting, uh, of her integrating Twitter into her, her teaching through the hashtag bird class, uh, is fantastic, a, a fantastic leader in that. And also just in thinking forward about what Twitter is about now and where where this, if you think about Twitter as a capacity more than a specific entity, where we go from here. So this can spill out, spill your classroom learning out into the world, spill the world into your classroom. It's a fantastic uh, tool for that. Um, another reason, you, I know many of you, some of you probably have some of these socks or stockings or ties. Uh, the warming stripes created by Ed Hawkins primarily some years ago have been become a symbol of climate awareness. It's a historical record of climate change temperature told through color. And it's largely emerged because of Twitter, um, especially Twitter is a crossroads for collaborative creativity. Uh, Ed Hawkins uh, in the UK he was posting on Twitter a lot of his variations of the uh, this warming trend through color. And then Alex Radke, who's an engineer in Germany, not a climate scientist, said, you know, this is interesting, but you kind of, one of the problems with the warming stripes is they go from like 150 years ago until now, but they don't really inform where do we go from here. And he started posting iterations of the stripes and together they've been collaborating on this. I had them both on one of my webcasts. It was the first time they'd actually met face to face, like through, you know, through a screen, but face to face. And we had a great discussion of how that happened and how we can make foster more of that capacity for again, multiple geographies across language, across culture, taking some question like how do we use color to drive understanding and awareness and act, action around mitigating warming. Another use of Twitter is uh, to ask questions. Uh, you have to build a network to some extent to do that. So the more you have your community, the better, but you don't want the community to be too tight. One thing I worry about on Mastodon, for example, 
and we can talk about more about Mastodon, is that it's kind of self-organizing um, clusters of disciplines who already know each other are creating these little islands on Mastodon, and they're they're linked. It's but there's really constraints on how much crosstalk there can happen, or how much discovery can happen, where someone comes along and says, like Alex Radke, says, "Well, what about the stripes going forward?" Uh, so so um, have once you build a bit of a community there, then you start to ask questions. Um, David Roberts, who's a journalist, he's a big part of climate and energy Twitter. You know, he a couple of years ago he posted. He could pose pretty specific tough questions that not are of, they're not a great interest to the wider Twitter community. They're not um, you know there to get attention per se. They're there to answer a question. Sam Montano again. Just this is just a couple of days ago, November 29th. Have any emergency management agencies made it onto TikTok yet? Sam is also on TikTok, and she's just getting going there on TikTok, trying to understand. You know, it's the fastest growing. Uh, visual platform by far, uh, beating Instagram and everything. And um, Elena Woods is a, a geographer focused on climate who's become a bit of a star on TikTok. So uh, Sam asked this question, and right, right away there was an answer below from Leah <clears throat> Barton Kim, who says, Ready Harris, which I think is Harris, Pennsylvania, was there. And then Madison County uh, EMA kicked in right away. We are in the building, have been for a while, give us a follow. So you can ask and answer questions as a way to build community and uh, refine what you're thinking and what others are thinking. But threads are really a, a valuable way as a scholar, scientist, or a student with some project that's done to build content on Twitter that can really, it's like a story, it's like publishing, it's a publishing platform, just as much as a blog, but it's sitting there in searchable Twitter space so that if it's about um, sea life in the garbage patch and someone's out there searching for ocean plastic, or whatever, they, they'll find it. Um, this fantastic young journalist, Michael Thomas, has mastered the art of, of Twitter threads. He's had thousands of shares and reads of his his stories, um, again, he was kind of like many really good reporters who are out there doing good work, but it's hard to get elevated by creating these clever uh, dra drama-driven, you know, sort of like this first tweet suggests something that leads you to the next. Uh, he's built a great following. His, his lead, his opening was all across the country, local governments are restricting and banning clean energy projects. I heard rumors that misinformation on Facebook was a major cause of this, so I joined 40 anti-wind and solar groups to see some of it for myself. The results were bleak, and he takes you through that learning. Uh, the great Rebecca Helm, who's a fantastic ocean scientist, um, did this spectacular thread full of dynamic moving images, uh, and I'll, I'll show you in a few minutes. Uh, OMG, it, it literally took some swimming from Hawaii to California to discover this. But wow, did we find something shocking in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. So threads are a way to get intrigue and storytelling into the Twitter space in ways that uh, can fit in those little 280 character boxes. Through all this, you want to protect yourself, obviously. You know, Twitter can be incredibly toxic, particularly for women and uh, people of color and uh, of other than 
um, the traditional gender. Um, and there are tactics and tools and community building practices that can let you be in Twitter, get the best of it without being harassed and dangerously uh, exposed and the like. Uh, we did a couple of webcasts on this early on. I can send links to anyone to them. It's, um, we did them with Pan America, which is a group that, so more than a hundred years old that supports writers around the, the country and the world. And Pan America also has a, a sort of an anti-harassment uh, toolkit that uh, they share, they're now sharing increasingly with scientists and scholars. Uh, and we um, connected with them to do some training around that. There are other ways within Twitter to not to shield yourself from the full body of what can be weird, you know, uh, overwhelmingly uh, variegated and a mix of harmful and and helpful people. Uh, there are way there are tools within Twitter that aren't generally. Uh, uh, I'd say the aware awareness of them is pretty low. I'm not using them that much myself, but they're there. Um, there are communities. So if you go to your Twitter account, if you have one, there that whole little strip at the left-hand side that has where you can create lists or, or the like, there are also communities. You can create a community. It's similar to like a Slack group. So you can create subunits within Twitter that where the content only goes to those within that group. Uh, and um, there are all these levels that, through which you can limit who can see the stuff you're posting conversations you're having. And here's one that was created by Eric Holthaus, who was a Columbia grad, meteorologist, uh, super tw tweeter, who is trying to build a um, one of the alternatives for, to Twitter right now. It's, it's brand new. Twitter circles are similar. And uh, I just think it's, I encourage you to dig in on each of those little boxes. And there are links I can send to the pre really good background that Twitter itself has, they have a whole long tutorial on how to use all these uh, entities and why. Um, the One of the points I try to stress is, I think social media is almost set up to have you sit back and experience it as it's coming at you, as distinct from going into it with a purpose and using it. Uh, it's very easy to get sucked down rabbit holes. I, I I do it all the time. So going in with purpose, making sure you're there on a particular day, a particular hour with something in mind um, is, is a good way to do this. Glenn Peters, who's a fantastic scientist over in, in Europe, who's uh, tracking carbon policy and uh, emissions trends and the like. He posted uh, just today, um, Many have noted that Twitter, the Twitter timeline and activity levels have changed. Uh, have people stopped tweeting or has the timeline changed? He's wondering if Musk algorithms are shifting, uh, Ukraine tweets are gone. Uh, Oliver Gieden, who's a, an economist, uh, policy, another great policy wonk in Germany, tweeted back, at, replied to him a little bit uh, critically. This only happens to the lazy people who use the uh, AI curated timeline. Just use latest tweets and all those problems disappear and there's more insights there. And I'll be sharing the slides later too. Um, yeah, and he, they're right. You know, again, if you look carefully at your Twitter home base, at the top right-hand corner, there's a uh, option tool to go from latest tweets 
to uh, to your to your to what's happening, which is more tuned algorithmically. So there again, there's lots of ways to fine tune your experience to be useful to you. I use Twitter lists. Someone I still haven't tracked back who this was. Maybe ten months ago, I noticed someone had commented that if you're overwhelmed by your feed, if you're feeling it's too toxic or too off the point or too much about K-pop or maybe the World Cup, depending on uh, you know what you're thinking about on a particular day, uh, create a list. I, I have a bunch of lists created in my Twitter account. There's one, Sustain What, which is mostly scholars and scientists digging in on big sustainability questions. Suscomers is, is communicators, mostly journalists. Uh, COVID-19 sanity seekers is what you think. Conflict solution seekers was mainly around uh, Ukraine. Uh, Sustained Maine is people working here in the state I now live in uh, to uh, foster uh, better forestry, ocean practices, uh, science related to uh, marine change and climate change and the like. So lists can be a way to avoid that the passive idea of just looking at your feed excuse me, and switching it to an active um, filtering. You don't want to be too filtered because that really takes you into the bubble that is not a good place to be in in a variegated world. Um, always you know, gauge progress. Use the analytics. I'll, I'll, again, when I get off, get off of the presentation, I'll, I'll try to show some of these things. Uh, analytics is very valuable. And it shows you also if you feel like you're not getting a lot of responses to your tweets. Um, if you look at the back end, you can see how many visits they've got or the, the engagement there that's not someone liking it or replying to it or retweeting it. Quite often, there can be quite a lot of engagement that's just people coming and looking, being quiet. And we miss that those voices because they're not there, but they're, they're significant. Um, you don't have to worry too much about um, um, about um, you know numbers, I, I I focus more on quality and and knowing that people are there, not necessarily commenting is reassuring to me because sometimes the comments can be non-constructive, and that's not limited to Twitter. When I was blogging at the New York Times, you know if you get too focused on what people who take have the time and passion to post a comment, if you're too focused on on their input, you're missing that body of people who are just coming to learn and moving on. So, you know, here's a summary of some of the ways that Twitter is useful and or some of the ways to utilize it. Um, that can be, again, fill in the blanks in your needs. Um, uh, you can lurk and learn. Uh, you can jump in with input. Share the wonder, I think is, I do this quite often, you know, photographs and video clips from where I live that are relevant to uh, the questions I pursue, I, I think are important to put in there and sharing other people's wonder is great. Um, inquiry, again, it's people, not organizations. If you're um, looking to understand um, an issue you're working on for a PhD or in your postdoc work or in, uh, thinking about a grant you might be writing that you'd want related to West African precipitation trends and you're not familiar enough with people working on that problem in West Africa. It's a great way to connect with them. Uh, one, one bit of advice is critiquing, there's ways to critique and reply that are not trolly, that are 
constructive and there's ways to do it that could become more contentious and just lead to the sort of the heat of Twitter, which is not necessarily very productive. So thinking about um, how you approach criticism or constructive engagement is important. Um, it really is a neural network. Uh, ultimately, you know, stepping back and having a look once in a while. But again, using search more than just the feed, I think is really useful. It, it's the re reliance on the feed is what I think has tended to lead people to a, in a hyper-distilled sense that it's broken and to miss the reality that's hugely useful on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. Um, I wrote, this is a piece I wrote back November 3rd. That's a little tongue-in-cheek, but in a way, you know, all hail Elon Musk, the greatest spur to social media innovation ever should have a question mark perhaps. But I think in a way he has done a kind of a, a service by shaking things up sufficient that websites like Mastodon, Post.News, Reddit, other places are now being actively assessed as something that can take on some of the properties and qualities that Twitter has evolved over since 2006, 2007 it's gonna be a long time until anything makes the jump to being the, the real time, global, open searchable discovery engine that Twitter is underneath that harrowing surface sometimes. But I think in a way that we're at a good, a good moment here really, um, if we put it to the right kind of use. So Twitter Circle is just a smaller group within Twitter that you can create and post to. And that's something I think is useful. That's not something everyone is automatically attuned to know that's there. Communities, again, here's one that was created by Eric Holthouse, who was a Columbia grad, meteorologist, a super tweeter, who is trying to build a um, one of the alternatives to Twitter right now. It's it's brand new. Amy Stanfield, what is your response to the increase in hate crime racist speech due to Musk's dismantling of the trust and safety department responsibilities? The, these are big issues. Um, let me put that on screen so people can see. They're really big issues. Um, when a billionaire who's a, hugely a maverick and who's politically um, at the edge of at one edge of things, takes over a system like this. Um, there are enormous ramifications for, as as Amy's point here uh, specifies. When I think about, you know, do you just bail out or do you stick with it? I I think the more that we bail out, the more Twitter will likely head toward a darker, the darker side of things. For people um, who are on the webinar who are interested in learning about maybe approaches to Twitter or sharing their messages on Twitter, do you have a, a way that you think about writing a tweet before you put it out there? Or is there something you think about um, that would help um, the attendees understand your approach to writing something on Twitter? So way back in May, when when Elon Musk was first, um, you know, it was looking like he was going to get Twitter. 
I wrote this piece, and which is really the heart of what we're talking about today, to my mind. Here's how you can own Twitter. And some of the examples I pulled together are just exactly what Joey was talking about. So it's, it's an engagement pathway. Jacqueline Gill here at the University of Maine, who I only know about because of Twitter, as a journalist, uh, stumbled into her four or five, six years ago. Uh, she has a wonderfully refined capacity. She has a, an amazing capacity to engage people with the fruits of curiosity and open learning. So some she tweets about everything, including these the, the issues related to young, that young academics have to deal with. But here, as I was getting out of my car today, I noticed a small yellow lump of pollen on the windshield. But which tree? So she started to do a little bit of a, a poke and see. There's the pollen. Here's her toolkit. She did a little bit of inquiry. And along the way, if you look at some of the res responses, these are all getting multiple retweets and likes, including from biologists who are more dug in on pollen. So she's like, here she's kind of built a little bit of a, a learning journey, which is entirely reflecting what science is all about. I mean, she's a paleoecologist, and her work largely focuses on pollen, paleopollen. But I, I love the way she could take her own experience and build it forward into um, engagement with audiences. Twitter, it's, Twitter. it's a nice example of um, sort of taking your own curiosity for and the science that um, that the person is studying and making it accessible for the average person out there. And do you find in um, the scientists that you follow and, and journalists that, that you see that as something that is um, quickly responded to, that people react to, or do you think that it's sort of everybody finds their own voice? I, I think it depends, you know, not everyone should or can do this, but <laughs> it's one way to use Twitter. And I, there are people at Lamont and elsewhere who've done similar work. Um, I think institutionally, if we are better at sharing when someone has done a creative tweet here at Columbia, the climate school, then it's more apt for us to all as a community help to drive that forward as well. So that's one thing that we could do internally is um, have a system for saying so-and-so just really did a creative tweet from the um, Lamont um, facility down on the pier in Piermont. Here it is. Let's get it out there. That would be useful. There, there, there are, there's a lot of work here that can be done that way. Yeah. Um, and, and Lauren Esposito just posted, if you want to um, look at her comment, she had some good suggestions as well. Yeah, let me go. Uh, when I write a tweet, I always try to research the hashtag and include one or two in each post. I also try to tag individuals wherever possible. I try to use words that create a question, wonder, or are conversational in nature. Yeah, yeah. so this is the woman I was talking about earlier, Rebecca Helm. So this is this um, from Hawaii to California. It was a transect done where someone was swimming, but they also did science along the route. Here she has you know, wonderful examples, visual examples of what's going on, um, a link to the paper. 
So here's the paper for those who want to go deeper. But an incredibly shareable sequence here that mixes the science and the wonder. The crew took samples. Here's some of the samples, some of the organisms. Visual, you know, moving visuals tend to ca capture people's attention. And there's a good example. So that's actually a good question, Andy. Um, for Twitter, and you know, each plat social platform has a different um, personality for what works and what doesn't work. And you know, Instagram is clearly all photos. What do you think about Twitter and visuals and and digital assets? I think this is where um, the analytics comes in handy. Mm -hmm. It's been pretty clear that if you have an image or you clip an image and put it into a into a tweet, you um, can generate a lot more attention. Um, I encourage people to get into the analytics for sure, because you, you can actually do A-B tests. You could do a tweet with and without a picture. You can see the results in the back end. I found it's useful as a journalist, um, and I think in the sciences too, if you're in your own discipline, if you're kind of stuck, um, you can use Twitter to examine, to widen your view. Um, in 2020, I saw, or someone had posted an article about Forbes, uh, 50 leading female futurists. Really interesting, because when my impression, if you look at the world online, the futurists who come to mind are people like Steven Pinker, those sort of guys, uh, or um, Taleb, the uh, guy who wrote the Black Swan book. And so I, I started to get more focused on this. Um, I was really interested, do, do female futurists tend to have different, are their analyses of, of futures different, distinct from those of men? You know, going, is, has anyone studied that? And it resulted in a really deep and interesting uh, build out for me of what it is to be a futurist, who are, who's in this arena, um, how to find people who are not already in the public eye, like Taleb, who's a superstar, best-selling author. And so that, that, you know, it's a way to pop your own balloons sometimes. I find that's very valuable. As I said earlier, use it as a search engine. And Genevieve Gunther is a, um, she's not a scientist. She's writing a book about climate terminology. And she's asking these questions about, you know, so why does this amount of CO2 lead to only three degrees C of warming? And got some wonderful interaction with scientists. So there's all these opportunities to engage people as a, using your expertise, not waiting until you have a paper coming out that you want to sort of get around, but sort of being out there on Twitter or on Facebook, you know, frankly, or other media, you, you're able to start to answer questions people have. One of the most interesting hashtags I thought that evolved at least six years ago now was Skype a scientist. Uh, Sarah McNulty, a um, squid biologist at University of Connecticut. She um, 
came up with the idea of, hey, you know, I'm a scientist. I'm working on an interesting question. I'm happy to visit your classroom virtually through, at the time, Skype. This is before Zoom became the big thing it is now. And it was a way as a scientist to sort of put up a little flag saying, here's the work I do. You know, I'd be, I'd be happy to meet with your students and and uh, let's work that out. And it's it, then when the pandemic happened, she was already well situated to expand that capacity. And I, I worked with her, uh, did a couple of webcasts with her, for example. So so the hashtags can be used that way. Make Putting your sort of putting yourself out there can create those opportunities to get uh, interactivity. It, um, well, I mentioned earlier, Twitter data, you know, Twitter can save lives. It's, that's the aspect of it that that uh, engineer who just quit, Jim Moffat works on, how to use the Twitter API, use the flow of data in Twitter to create um, tools that can save lives actively. And they've done this all around the world. We have scientist Andrew Krushevitz who hit the, um, at IRI here at Columbia. He's working on a big NASA funded project on flood warning. Um, I've done several sessions with him, having him work more with, I'd like to do more with him webcasts on how to build the social media in, how to use social media effectively in different parts of the world to, to uh, cut risks and, so those are those are opportunities that are there for the Columbia community right now. Holly Everts asked uh, about engineering faculty leaving Twitter for Mastodon and yeah. how to handle that. Mastodon, you know, I'm on Mastodon now. I'll take you there right now. Mastodon is um, useful. It's compartmentalized. It's a place, to me, it's more like Slack. Like I would ask any of those engineering faculty, what about it gives them a sense of that um, global potential for connections outside of the community they already know. It's it uh, even the search function on Mastodon is constrained. You can't search for an open term like coral reefs. You have to use hashtags, and um, there are other constraints. You can't. You can only you can essentially only retweet something you can re-up it but you can't add a comment or you can't sort of um, retweet with a with a reply which i think is very constraining so it, it's there uh, i've got a thousand followers there now i'm i just don't see it as having the that open aspect that twitter has that gets you out of your bubble it's very it's very unidisciplinary, like the economists are all clustering and the engineers are clustering. And that's great. You know, everything has a purpose. There are important close focus conversations to have about, about um, the work you're, you're doing in engineering for uh, the future of clean water like. But to spill that out into the larger world to talk about um, how it might be, that work might be applied in Bangladesh is, would be much harder to do on on Mastodon, for now, at least, uh, than on Twitter. So I think um, I wouldn't. To me, they're two very different tools, and it's like so many things on the internet. Uh, you know, TikTok is an arena I have not, I haven't really entered at all. There are people very excited there, including Sam Montano, that emergency management 
official I uh, professor I talked about earlier who um, is starting to dive in there. Um, it's where a lot of eyeballs are. Uh, so finding your finding the right mix of the um, portal methodology and partnerships you would need to uh, be effective toward the goals you have for your science can lead you to TikTok, Twitter, Mastodon, or uh, just you know, writing your work and putting out a press release too. Press releases still matter <laughs> too. Uh, I think they matter less and less, but um, that's, um, you, you know, it's all, going back to that slide I showed earlier about, you know, your goals, your mission, your strategy, your tactics, it really comes down to what you want from your, what do you want to get done with your work? What's the broader outcomes component of your work? What's the, if it's just, if it's to advance your career in your discipline, that's very different than if you want to have some insight applied on the ground in a place you might not expect where it could be applied. So that's that's the uh, the mix out there. And just a, a follow-up question in uh, Holly's comment was, um, uh, not really wanting to join Mastodon um, because of the self-defined groups and asking if it's worth um, waiting to see what happens. Oh, um, the other issue we all face is time, you know, opportunity cost. I think, I, I would say it's good to set up an account there like I did. There's no reason not to, you know, and. It's it's more complicated there than on Twitter. You have to find your little. I you have to find your, your. Um, I can't remember what they call them. They're different. Um, oh, servers. What am I saying? That find the server where you want to hang out. But it doesn't really matter. Some of the servers there have different rules and the like. I I chose green, which is mostly European, but just because it was one of the first ones I came came across. I I don't hang out there a lot. I don't. I think it would be. It's not worth my time right now to, to um, spend a lot of effort there as opposed to on Twitter, where I feel like it's, there's still a lot of work to be done to make it Twitter useful and less harmful, as Amy had expressed the concern about. And um, related to that, uh, there's a, a question about whether or not it makes sense for an entity like Columbia Climate School to have a Mastodon server community. Or to build your own, to create your own server. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's too soon to waste the time to do that. I think it's a lot of time and not a lot of utility. Because every, there's, no, there's no real merit for everyone to be on one server. It's this. It's just. I. I mean. I'm just saying this as me. I don't have a lot of. Um, but I, I would. I would say, from what I understand of the functionality of Mastodon, I don't see any utility in Columbia or the Climate School having its own server there. Great. Other questions from people on the webinar. Let me see what oh, I'm going to go to the WADNR account that Lauren mentioned. 
there is, you know, one, one institute, one organization that has a really good approach to social media is the um, um, Wildlife Conservation Society. The, I get press releases from them where each release has links to their social media, what they put out on Facebook, what they put out on YouTube, what they put out on Twitter. Um, they're very clever with social media and, and going way back. Okay, so this is um, Wildlife Conservation Society from the recent, um, you know, there's COP27, there's the climate talks, but there's, there's also CITES, the uh, endangered species talks and coming up the biodiversity talks. So this is Panama calls for a major new prediction of sharks. But here's their, um, you see how this is all in the release? high-res images, their news story, their Twitter, their LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I just think it's a really uh, useful way to think about their news flow, kind of all in one package. And I could forward that email to anyone if they want, just as an example. Yeah, it's definitely a great example of um, how to help a journalist out. <laughs> sure. Um, in in the chat, there's a, a question about what criteria should a school consider uh, and deciding how many separate Twitter accounts to maintain versus an overall account that could have a range of interests that might not be relevant to all subscribers. Ah, well, this gets to a point that might be un uncomfortable for some I'm, I'm not a fan of institutional accounts, although I guess as Lauren was saying, it sounds like whoever it is who runs the Washington State DNR account, uh, that person is, you know, clever and effective. Um, as I said at the very beginning, remember when I did the search function, Twitter is where people are and sort of institutional accounts I think are good to have, but unless there's someone behind it, who's really driving a personal approach. It's not where people would tend to, to migrate. Um, and or, you know, how do you use an institutional account to enter into a conversation with someone on Twitter? You know, if something was happening related to Greenland's ice sheet and there's a new study out, what you'd want to see in that conversation representing Columbia is a glaciologist more than the Lamont, to, you know, account that kind of thing. It's it's a that's where the trust is. The sense of personality is through interaction with people on Twitter. So Twitter, Twitter, you know, again, I I went through this recently. I'm on the uh, the um, executive committee of the uh, Leap Project, which is a supercomputing, I mean, a, a climate modeling center here that Columbia's lead institution on. And there is a leap now. There's a leap um, Twitter account, but Pierre Gentine, who's the lead scientist for the group, is, is active on Twitter. And I, as a journalist, especially a journalist, is out there sifting for people, not for institutions. So that I think the more that can be done to foster the capacity of people at Columbia, at the Climate School, to be active, to be present, and engaged on Twitter the more it will benefit the school than to have 
or the particular you know subsets subprograms to have accounts but that's just that's just my thinking and um, in in the chat, uh, Tara is noting that an institutional account can loop in an expert into a conversation by tagging them. Yes, but again, there, uh, that's fine. But the person who's tagged would you'd want them in the conversation. So it's like. Uh, Gavin Schmidt, who has been quieter on Twitter lately, he's at NASA. Yes, I could uh, show. I think he's been quieter lately because he's he's running Yes now. Historically, he he was very uh, active, and he's a voice. You know, he's a. Oh, he's very active. He hasn't showed up in my feed as much. So, so you, you, it's people again. Twitter is a place for people more than institutions. Ultimately, Catherine Hayhoe obviously is a case, prime case study, and in, in that, um, Peter Glick, another one out west. So, the, this is just climate of Gavin. This is Gavin's flow. Let's just see. So, my answer again is, um, it's people who populate Twitter mostly in a way that's active and engaging. And that's what a journalist would look for. That's what it's people who who you build conversations. And you know, here here's Gavin talking about racism and anti-Semitism. So, you know, he's a very personal person. Having training on how to be personal and professional at the same time is another part of what I think would be a good way to build some presence on Twitter that doesn't kick back in ways that you wouldn't want. Let me just see when I'm not missing any other um, input here. Experts on Twitter can also build on an institutional tweet by quote tweeting and advancing conversation. Yeah, I, I think, I guess what I'd say is if I had, you know, X amount of dollars or time to spend on um, running an institutional account versus identifying who across the landscape of the climate school is already on Twitter and might be hesitant or at the point of being more engaged, um, getting more of a comfort level on, on them, and having them then tag the institution, you're flipping it around so it's more like that, feels like a better approach than um, the institution tagging the person, just in terms of how Twitter functions. Wait, but Tara, it'd be great if Tara could get in the conversation. Everyone wants everything pushed out on social and some content types did not have an authentic feeling. Conversation starting purpose. Everyone wants everything pushed out on social. Well, I, you know, that's the question. How much uh, pushing something out on social media to what end? Always getting the end in mind. You know, is the end um, 
I'm just looking again. She's in the uh, the webinar chat. I think I could show that on the on the screen. Looks like Tara is now able to speak. Tara, are you able to? Oh go yeah. Me? Oh, there you oh, I'd love to talk with you. Oh yes, hello everyone. Yes, I can't help uh, throwing my two cents into the works. Um, Good. But I, I certainly understand your point, Andy, and it, and it is a struggle to put forward, um, uh, you know, meaningful content. Sometimes we're promoting things and that's also necessary, but uh, obviously engagement and conversation on topics is, is the gold. Um, so perhaps, you know, our, our broader purpose, cross-channel promotion of things, um, makes us less you know, of an authentic player and can distract from, from the substantive content that we want to share. These are all open questions, I, I think. Um, I, I do think if, one thing I've, I've long wanted to do here is just get a, um, the feel for who, you know, across the climate school, is there a list of folks who are on Twitter and then a survey with them. I did a survey. I was trying to pull up the visual of it earlier and I had trouble. We basically have, in the early days of the Sustainability Communications Network, we did a survey of about, I think 200, 270 people replied. And there was a breakdown of people who were, but you know, what's your sense of social media? And it was a hesitant from like never to hesitant to hopeful to evangelist. And there's certain cohorts there. And having, knowing who's there, who's in those cohorts, having them fostering conversations among them, so that the ones who are still super excited can work, can work uh, collaboratively, collaboratively with those who are hesitant but hopeful to get them a little bit more dipping their toes in would feel very productive for um, the long-term outcome for the school, generally. Thank you, Andy. Any other questions or comments that people want to make? We'll give it a minute. And as I said earlier, I'm very happy to do one-on-ones or you know, have small group chats with folks anywhere across the landscape here to drive things forward. We could, you know, to explore Mastodon, I could pull in a couple of people, Carl Bergstrom out where there, there are a few scientists I know, I, I'm not sure who at Columbia is already there and feeling enthusiastic about it. So Holly, you know, knowing who's there and who's happy would be useful. I could pull them into a conversation, that kind of thing. Great. Well, with that, Annie, I'm just going to say thank you so much. I think this was um, a really interesting conversation about the uses of Twitter um, and other platforms um, and, and how you can use it to your best ability uh, or, or advance the messaging you want out as an individual or an organization. So